everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Kara Chen of the San Francisco Public Defender's Office. She is the managing attorney of the Mental Health Unit. And today we're going to be talking about the CARES Act. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, David. So um, I'm going to have you explain what the CARES Act is. Well, the CARES Act is in response to our housing crisis in the state of California. And the court, uh, it's meant to be uh, a, uh, a place where people who are in crisis to be able to refer to the court and get a care plan, a legal representative, <laughs> a uh, advocate. So uh, the individual who will refer will be able to get on the path of recovery and be able to uh, survive in the community. Um, that's basically to alleviate folks who are on the verge of losing their lives. And so what are your concerns with this act? Um, I think my concerns are, first of all, the act is it's a good uh, humanitarian gesture. <laughs> it's trying to solve the problem that we're all very concerned. But I think the CARE Act uh, is to require all counties to provide this court. However, um, there's not enough detail in the CARE Act to provide guidance, funding, and also it doesn't give us the immediate uh, solution to solve our problem. Um, the CARE Court doesn't start till in San Francisco, we're one of the counties that are gonna start on the October 1st, 2023. So a year from now on, but as you can see, uh, the crisis around us every day is now. <laughs> so we have to wait for 12 months, right, to, to do this. So number one. Number two, uh, it, it's, um, it doesn't really address the housing crisis that we have so we can have affordable housing for folks. Also, because we have all these special programs, we need to have an advocate, we need to have a care plan, we probably need a courtroom. We probably need a case manager for most of the clients. And I think one advocate is not enough. We need the whole care team. So it's just not the advocate. So in terms of um, what we're overlooking is the 
the lack of resources and especially the workforce that's going to support the folks to be successful in this care plan or this care court scheme. And in San Francisco in particular, David, um, as you know, uh, we have a very robust collaborative court. We have Veterans Court, uh, Transitional Youth Court, Young Adult Court, uh, Parole Court, Mental Health uh, Diversion, Behavioral Health Court, Misdemeanor Behavioral Health Court. That's just in the criminal division. Uh, people who have special needs, they go to these courts to get services. Uh, in the civil court, which uh, the majority of my practice focus is conservatorship, assisted outpatient treatment program, and also the housing conservatorship. So uh, that's in the civil court. So we already are really have a very good infrastructure. So the care court adding to it, it may be a little bit of redundancy. So it really doesn't fit into what we already have. And on top of that, David, is that we have a mental health SF which is the universal care for mental health services in San Francisco. And that's also as, as a, a scheme, a legislation that makes sure everybody that needs treatment will have access to treatment and will, have, will provide uh, the, the needs that they, they, they uh, the treatment they need or the services uh, for whatever their needs are in order to be uh, safe. So, we already have that. So how can we, I think the challenge for San Francisco County, it's how can we uh, have the care court scheme uh, sort of streamlined into what we have so we don't um, waste resources. We don't uh, go, you know, keep circling around. So we could have something that we can move forward. And that's gonna be the big challenge. Um, and I've also heard from a lot of folks concern that this is kind of mandated or coercive care. Do you have a concern there too? Yes, especially um, individual rights and whether uh, someone is being hauled into court and you have to do A, B, C, and D. It's always a coercion. And I think um, that criminalizes a, a people who are homeless, criminalized poverty. And also, um, I don't want to be offensive, but I think care court, it's it very, it's very similar, like a, like a steps sibling of Laura's law, the AKA also known as assisted outpatient program. So I always said it's a tiger without the teeth in some way, because, um, Yes, it's coercion, but how can you invite people to court? If they don't want to come to court, how can you engage them in a dignified way so they will receive services voluntarily? Which I think would be much more uh, effective um, in, in to engage someone voluntarily, to help someone to achieve their goal. For example, if I want to get an ID, I'll help you get an ID. And the next step is, hey, how about, let's now that you have an ID, let's look for housing. If you need housing, how about have a case manager so we can set up your SSI, set up your, your clinic visits. It's a one step at a time. We, we can't achieve this in a, in, a, in a short period of time. And that's why I think 
it's it doesn't work effectively when you get somebody to court immediately people will say i don't want to do this that's the the first reaction um and the other thing i think david for working in a conservatorship court for over two decades um it is very important to have the continuum of care in our city it's not just catching someone at the beginning of the crisis but to help them along the way to have that continuum of care so not just save them at the point of crisis and then not continuing to usher them through the pathway of recovery so let me ask you this question because i agree with pretty much everything you said but you know there are going to be some people that say okay look we understand it would be better to get people to do stuff voluntarily but the fact of the matter is um you know a lot of people just won't so what do you do for those people well how to engage the unengageable i think number one you need to have competent workforce good case managers people consistently go out and work with them uh, the, the, the population that, that we wanted to help out. So that's number one. By forcing someone, uh, it only works during the time of coercion. As soon as, I mean, you can, it, it, we have 72 hours, 5150, 14 day, 5250. So once that's over, that's why we keep catching the people who are in crisis. We never get around to make sure the band-aid is healed, the scar is healed. We're gonna work on how to keep, not have that injury, that wound on your arm, the same arm that you came in. So first of all, I think, you know, I think it would be more effective for Medi-Cal to say, uh, reimburse somebody who are in care crisis beyond 24 hours. Now it's 23 hours. So if I'm in crisis, I don't know if I can come out of crisis in 23 hours. And I probably be kicked to the curb um, when they when Medi-Cal stop reimbursing my provider, right? So, so I think we need to fix those problems. That's one, you know, uh, Medi-Cal reimbursement. How to make sure people get the help they need and they are covered during period of of, of crisis. Number two, uh, for example, I believe uh, earlier this year we purchased a building on Geary. Uh, Boulevard, at which half of it was supposed to be safe injection site, the other half was a crisis diversionary unit, and that's part of uh, the crisis diversionary unit was part of the mental health SF uh, implementation sort of the plan. Uh, how you know that building's not going to be built in a year and a half. We have crisis now, so I think care court it's something that it's not timely, and also we have to spend a, a a lot of time to create so why don't we front load the resources and take care of the problem as fast as we could so we don't keep the vulnerable people repeating in crisis and and i think by doing that then we don't have to worry about people not willing to engage because those people who are saying they don't want it maybe they tried before and they didn't get the help they need so they don't want it to keep having these false promises given to them. They're not able to get the housing that's supposed to be promised if I if I participate in treatment. So a lot of folks, for example, you know, they're waiting in jail to go to a bed 
and 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 the long wait kind of say well i don't want to wait anymore i'm going to take this deal and plead guilty i'll get out on the street so we never get the chance to give them the help they need yeah and i think you know as someone who is on the other side of this um and we had to deal with this uh with our 17 year old a few years ago you know that's a real problem um so we had a 17 year old uh he was harming himself um so we uh you know we get him in fortunately uh before he hurt himself too badly go to the hospital be put on a, a you know 5150 hold and then they would put him into a some sort of uh intermediate care facility for a few weeks to get stabilized and then as soon as he was stabilized they turned it back to us none of the problems dealt with so what happens he goes right back uh to what he was doing before and so we had to go through this how many times oh nine or ten times uh and we finally convinced our county not san francisco but our county um to to put him into residential care and it took a couple years and he was finally okay but i mean you know and, and this was not somebody who was a reluctant he knew he needed help he knew he, he wanted help he couldn't get the help in the system so the problem wasn't that he was reluctant the problem was that the system did not have the resources to help this kid i agree with you and i think that probably thanks to your advocacy, he's able to access treatment. And and, the, and you just got right there, you mentioned a very important point is the continuum of care. Yes, I, I have, I, I'm able to assist you during the time of crisis, but what do we do after the crisis abated? How can I continue to help you so you do not come back to where you were before? How can we help you to su succeed? And David, that requires building a workforce. And now, um, for example, um, you know, in San Francisco, how can we live in San Francisco and work in mental health field uh, with the high rent, right? So, so, so we're losing talent. People may go to another county for lower rent, uh, lower cost of living. So, in order to do that, I mean, that's where I think the legislature could have done more. Um, student loan A or maybe rent vouchers for the mental health care provider. It takes 10 years to build competent, um, culturally, linguistically competent staff to help people. And that's hard work. It, it's not, um, it's not something that, you know, we'll fill out a form and say, here, you go to clinic A, you get this. It's a constant engagement and also identifying what the person need and able to see the warning sign and, and, and have an early intervention before the crisis begins. That's what I call a, a successful model of continuum of care. And But we need that. And care court doesn't touch that. Care court just say, here, you're in crisis. We'll take care of you. And that's it, right? So, so we front load all this, keep working with the same group of people over and over but we really don't get to help people to leave crisis and move beyond that. Yeah, and so if you talk to homeless advocates, you know, one of the biggest needs that they see is permanent supportive housing, that if you can get 
people, even people suffering mental illness, into permanent supportive housing, which means not just housing and, and let them run wild, but actually uh, services in that housing, um, then, then you can deal with the other issues. But if they don't have that stability of housing, it's really difficult to get, uh, get them uh, you know, to the point where they can even take their medicine. I mean, think about what it takes to take medicine under good conditions and then uh, throw them into the chaos of the streets. And you can imagine just not going to work long term. Yes. So so supportive housing is very important. Um, I think that uh, we need to think about how we assign housing, how um, I think before um, some of the housing doesn't have on-site case management support. I think we need to think through that. Um, I think San Jose, Santa Clara County may have a model where the supportive housing, they have uh, folks support the, the individuals who are in uh, these housing, uh, type of housing that they can help them to stay and be successful. So that's another, uh, part of um, another component of workforce, you know, that we need to be built and robust. So peer court, um, it's, a, it's a really good sort of a concept, but in terms of detail, making it work, there's a lot of resources required and a lot of many other options. And in terms of housing, supportive housing, um, David, I didn't know this, you know, I I'm a public defender. I said, oh, my client needs housing. Like, how about even SRO, good hotels? But see, in, in SRO, you have to understand when people wake up, the drug dealer goes to work. I mean, they're in the worst possible neighborhood, right? So, so how do we help them? So they learn harm reduction. They also take their meds, have supportive. Then you need, we need to have those um, supportive staffing there to help them, right? The other thing is that, um, there is something called CEQA. I think it's uh, quality housing. It's environmental quality. So a lot of people always say, I want supportive housing. But then you didn't hear the second part of sentence. It's not in my backyard. So they have all these, um, I think that the, the state government should look into CEQA and, and, and give the, uh, the developer who's going to want to do supportive housing and have some kind of tax breaks or have some kind of um, relief so we can actually build more supportive housing, affordable housing, so we can help our um, unhoused population to be able to move into a house. Yeah. And, and so, you know, even, you know, with everything in the care court system, you know, what what I see is a huge shortfall is, you know, they put these ideas in place, but they didn't put any funding to make them happen. So there's there's no housing funding um, and there's no mental health treatment funding. And without those two planks, I don't see how this works. So the county have to really advocate each county. I think there is some money, but there are so many counties around the state. So. Uh, it's going to be very challenging. Um, I think that there needs to be an expertise how to smartly deploy the resources so we don't waste money. Um, and then we can actually address the crisis immediately. I, I think, David, I, I cannot tell you, you know, each day I, I get 
notice that someone it's OD, someone who's homeless, somebody who passed away. The crisis is now, not a year or two years later. So, so yes, we, we do need lots of resources and funding. And sometimes it doesn't mean, you know, just immediate like $2 trillion to build a program, but sometimes we need some of the legislation, for example, Medi-Cal reimbursement for people who are in crisis, uh, building a workforce in terms of housing, how to, how to make affordable housing available uh, to the people we need and also have that supportive team at the housing. So, so it, it's, it's a lot. And then finally, you know, from your standpoint as a public defender, how does how is this going to change your work, and what are you guys going to have to do as a result of this? I think we probably, I probably need to train um, the staff attorney uh, to work with the population coming into care court. We need additional attorney. We need paralegal. We may need a. Um, advocate also who who can support the client who are being referred so there's a training we have to have our sufficient staff to support the client and it's not just oh you're a lawyer you can do it because i've been doing this for 22 years just for this special assignment in the mental health court and i think it's necessary for me to learn how to speak respectfully how to listen actively and that takes time. Uh, sometimes you may hear me repeating what I said. It's because I want to make sure um, the other person understands, you know, the listener understands. I need to be compassionate. Um, so I always quote my assistant. She said, yes, I'm going to treat my client differently uh, who are vulnerable because I'm going to be extra compassionate. I'm going to be extra patient. <laughs> I'm going to be extra generous because that's, what it needs is it, there's no quick fix way to it, and it requires a lot of patience. Well, this will be an interesting adjustment. I, you know, you actually give me a little bit more hope than I had about this. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get the funding that it needs, but you know, there are aspects to this that that could be beneficial if they're properly funded. Yes, and it also requires uh, all the stakeholders to work together, the courts, the, uh, the, the city attorney, the city council, uh, the public defender's office, uh, or, or the legal representative, uh, plus especially Department of Public Health, and also Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, even Department of Emergency, and the fire department. How do you, how do you encourage that person from going from point A to point B, right? And also the service providers. So it's gonna take a village, David. If it's gonna work, um, it will work beautifully, but we have, we have to roll our sleeves and not think about what we did wrong or because we're doing a terrible job, but we're thinking like, how could we make it better and make it work? Uh, despite the legislature does not give us the funding and does not give us enough guidance. And so we require to think outside of the box and creatively. So for Christmas, David, I know it's a little bit early October. I'm gonna ask for like lots of programs 
uh, whoever wants treatment, they would have access, they'd be able to access treatment and they would get housing, you know, so they will be stay warm and safe during the winter. So I was going to ask is kind of a follow up. I mean, what else should we be doing? Um, you know, if you could design a, a system that would be better other than more money, which is obvious, um, you know, what else do we need to be doing here? I think what we need to do is we need to destigmatize mental illness and people who are unhoused. Uh, we do not, you know, a lot of times we'll say, well, help them out so we can put them somewhere out of sight, out of mind, so the street is clean and we don't have to worry about it. That that we need to take away that that lens, so to speak. We don't mean to, but we just say, oh, you get help as long as, you know, not in my backyard or not in front of my front door. So we need to, to destigmatize. And I think we also need to do is to work together. So, so, um, so for medical school, the curriculum need to change to say, how could a psychiatrist work with a psychologist, right? When somebody who's taking their meds, but they may be traumatized being years of the housing, how can we work closely with the psychologist and, and to, to do uh, trauma therapy or, or substance use therapy to help them through their recovery? Uh, that's important. And how do case manager work together as a team? It's not just the hierarchy, you know, doctor up here and, and we're just doing the dispatching of the order. I think people have to work together and, and coming together at the same table. And also it's problem solved. I think it's important that attitude, oh, we have a little hiccup. So how can we solve and make it better rather than just say, okay, this person is not engageable. I'm not gonna work with him or her anymore. Don't give up. Yeah, I think that is, is kind of the hard part because you're dealing with a population that that's traumatized and, and they've been through a lot. And, and, and they're also not thinking clearly um, because of various mental illnesses. And so, you know, um, it's really hard, I think, to build trust uh, and get them to the point where they can accept services. And so we kind of want to take the easy way out and, and just say, well, let's just compel them to do it, even though the research shows that that doesn't work very well. It's not a long-term plan. It's not a long-term solution. The long-term solution is to help. When the person's not doing well, we help them. And once they stabilize, they realize that we need to give back the decision-making power and help them to go along the recovery road. And I never like to uh, take away my client's right to make a decision. I think in the process, I explain to them what happened to the court. If you're not happy with the judge's decision for involuntary treatment, let's have a hearing so you get to hear why these services are being offered to you, these treatment are being offered to you, and, and you get to your say. Like for example, uh, you know, if you take powerful psychiatric medications, I, have, I had a client who was a very uh, renowned cellist, but he could not play cello anymore because the medication makes his hand um, more rigid, he's not able to play, but he gets to have a say in it. And that's important. And, and we don't have a right to take away uh, anyone's right to speak for him or herself, just because they have a mental health diagnosis. So I think 
So that's why it goes back to what I said earlier is we need to remove that lens. We need to stigmatize. We need to understand that um, the other my Christmas wish uh, I forgot to tell you, David, is that um, when I go into a physical checkup, it's not just the blood work, the x-ray. In order to remove the stigma is to have a mental wellness check. Are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Do you have, are you under stress? So that way we understand how can we do a complete health wellness care so we don't think, oh, mental illness has only happened to someone else. It never happened to me. But one in five Americans, in some way, one way or another, they're like, they may have a mental health issue. And that's the statistic that we cannot ignore. We could be stressed. We could be having some moment of, of anxiety attack or something. But we have to treat it like a health issue, but not something that we don't want to touch it. You deal with it and look for a quick solution and then and then leave them out there. It's no, they are one of us. We are part of them. So we need to embrace them and help them get well. So we don't have to keep going through the repeated cycle for them to be in and out of the hospital, stay on the street forever we help them to move out of that phase and we can work together we can do it well i want to thank you for coming on and and sharing uh some of your insight into this issue it's really uh, a fascinating issue and also a tragic issue thank you david that was kara chen the managing attorney of the mental health unit in the san francisco public defender's office We've been talking about the CARE Act. Uh, the CARE Act will be taking effect sometime next year. And um, the real concern is not only with uh, compelled treatment, but it's also with the lack of resources. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.